informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Thanksgiving Thursday, November the 24th, 2022, on the feast day of St. Andrew Dunlock, priest and companions and martyrs. Yeah, praise be to God. Going to have a great show for you today. Dr. Rebard is back on the program. I think the last time we had him on, we were talking about universities. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the problems we were having with him. Well, he's back today with a conversation with Adrian Fonseca on gratitude, being thankful on uh, this uh, Thanksgiving Thursday. So if you are hanging out with your family today, I, we hope and pray that you have a fantastic Thanksgiving day. Uh, with your family. But uh, also on the program at the top of the next hour, we're going to have a conversation with Alexandra Greeley. She has a book out called Catholics in the Kitchen. It's published by 10. Very interesting conversation. You're going to not want to miss that. It was very Be sure if you can't hang out on live radio, you can always hang out on our website at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But pop quiz. Good morning to you guys. Happy Thanksgiving to both of you. What was the very first Thanksgiving this was a trivia the question. The very first Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. In Florida. Oh, you're going to go with that one. St. Augustine, Florida. <laughs> so you think that one was the first one, huh? Um, so Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, if, we, if, yeah. if we're being technical. I'm going to say the very first Thanksgiving mm-hmm. ever done mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. The, uh, the meal had by Melchizedek in 4000 B.C. Ah. <laughs> I like ah. your thinking. Ah. <laughs> a little bread, a little wine. <laughs> Ooh, the Thanksgiving, the Eucharistia. A little early priesthood. That's what I'm saying right there. Uh, no, actually, I'm talking in the Americas. Oh. Now, there are legendary accounts of St. Uh, Brendan, a priest, uh, well, hanging out in a small little boat off of uh, the Isle of the Blessed sometime Count. around 512 A.D. Had 14 monks and priests with him. There's that account. Then there's uh, the Icelandic bishop, Eric Gunnarsson, son, son. I'm not actually <laughs> sure how many sons are involved in that. I think seven. But nonetheless, uh, we're talking 1112 AD. He went to Vinland. Some say Canada. Interesting. Did he? Oh, that's where Canada was that the, the name first Canada mass? I'm not so sure. Uh, then there was, of course, the one that you're thinking of, uh, Brother Rudy, March 1509, Juan Ponce de Leon, with a group of colonists, landed in Florida, what is today Florida, and... and uh, that was with Cowhead guy, right? Heard Based. mass, praise be to God, uh, intoned the Te Deum upon landing, Whew. set up an altar, and, and heard mass, praise uh, be to yeah. Jesus. And that truly is a Thanksgiving, it is the Greek word Eucharisteia, where yeah. we get Eucharist from, so... Well before any of your your buddies from the Mayflower landed on uh, Plymouth Rock, there were masses being said in the Americas. Amen. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. To be fair. The day, the reason why we get today off is because of the people landing in Plymouth Rock. <laughs> hey, thanks for that, by the way. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you for the day off. We appreciate Pilgrims. it. Yeah, we appreciate it's it. Turkey right. time, baby. All right. So, uh, guys, is there anything on the menu today that's special? 
I'm going to make sure to eat nothing but uh, anything you can't have, Joe. I see. <laughs> That's pretty much everything. I'm having uh, I'm having turkey, obviously, ham, maybe some deer today. Oh, I would love some ham, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm going to settle for turkey today. You're going to settle for turkey. Yeah. Today. Turkey is inferior meat. My wife is not into ham, so <gasps> not <Yeah>. into ham. <sighs> the only person loss. is your wife Muslim. I'm the, just curious. The only person Jewish. who makes ham uh-huh. the best way is my mom. And she's oh. in California. She didn't mail you some ham? No. Dude, she I like didn't ham any, any which way. Yeah. Okay. I love uh, ham. Mm. So good. Mm. I'm going to miss the mashed taters. I'm going to be honest with you. You're That's not going to miss the one thing the I, I, I look forward to every Thanksgiving is a massive pot of mashed pecan potatoes pie? with. Oh, pecan pie. Who mm. can argue you can with that? You forget. Uh, it's, pumpkin it's pecan. Pie. It's pecan, mm. though, right? We just we settled oh, it yeah, on that last right. year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Pecan. Because a pecan is a candy pean. Right. Pecan pie is one you eat. Yes. So, oh, right, right. And then pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Can't have any of like, it. I don't like pumpkin. I get to have beef pie. Really. It doesn't taste good. Beef pie is good. With, uh, <laughs> with, with the tallow. Beef pie. <laughs> with the topping of tallow. <laughs> so, so yummy. All right. We're, gonna, we're not going to do any news today because uh, we aren't actually here in I, studio. We I are, do have some home. news to share, though. Oh, you do? Just today, okay. just for today, mm-hmm. the sky is not falling. Praise be to God. Mm. There are, there's no news, which wow. means that's good news. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it'll change the next week. Was that the horns I just heard? I'm sorry. The, the uh, horns of the, uh, of the apocalypse? Yeah, I thought what? I heard the horns. What? Uh, never mind. What? Uh, sorry. Oh. The horns of the apocalypse. Is that Jesus? Uh, that speaking you? of which, the gospel's <laughs> coming up, and you're going to want to not miss that, too. Speaking of the horns of the apocalypse. Okay, let's pray. We're going to do saint of the day, gospel, and some reflection before we jump in. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known. That anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now your saint of the day with Adrian Fonseca. The saint of the day is St. Peter of Alexandria. First, St. Peter was Bishop of Alexandria from 300 to 311 at the time of the persecutions of Diocletian and Maximinus Daia. When the first persecution started, he established penances for those Catholics who had made concessions to their persecutors to save their lives. These were Catholics who had become intimidated and committed the abomination of burning incense to the idols. Afterwards, in despair, they turned to the church to ask for forgiveness. St. Peter of Alexandria composed a set of rules establishing penances for those who had lapsed so that they could make reparation for their infamous actions and be readmitted to the faith. To the lapsed who had suffered prison and sustained torture but afterwards gave up the faith, he declared that 40 days of fasting were necessary for them to be purged. To those who had suffered in prison without torture, but had made concessions, he prescribed one year of penance. To those who had suffered none of these things, but had deserted from fear only and timidity, he declared that the parable of the sterile fig tree would suit them. If after three years they should show good fruits, labors making them worthy of penitence, then they should be assisted. But those who remain impenitent or despairing should suffer the fate of the cursed fig tree, which was cut down and thrown away. 
Second, after Peter of Alexandria had been apprehended and cast into prison, Arius became fearful that the saint would die without giving him absolution. He asked then for principal members of the clergy to intercede for him before the bishop. Those priests went to visit St. Peter in the prison. After the customary oration, they prostrated themselves before him. With groans and tears while kissing his hands, they implored him, saying, Most blessed Father, by the excellence of your faith, the Lord is calling you to receive the martyr's crown. Therefore, do you not think it is right that with your accustomed piety, you should pardon Arius and extend your indulgence to his lamentations? The man of God, moved by indignation, raising his hands to heaven, exclaimed, Do you dare to supplicate me on behalf of Arius? Both here and in the next world, Arius is forever banished and separate from the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stuck, struck with terror, the priests were silent, realizing that the bishop gave forth such a sentence against Arius by divine inspiration. In fact, St. Peter later took aside Father Alexander, his companion in prison, and told him the reason for his severity. The hidden treachery of Eris surpasses all iniquity and impiety. What I said I did not assert of my own self. For last night, while I was solemnly pouring forth my prayers to God, and you were sleeping, a boy of about twelve years, the brightness of whose face I could not endure, appeared to me in this cell making it radiant with an intense light. He was clothed with a linen tunic, torn into two parts, from the neck to the feet. At this vision, I was stupefied with astonishment. When I could make bold to speak, I exclaimed, Lord, who has rent your tunic thus? He answered me, Arius has rent it. And he added, By all means, beware of receiving him into communion, for tomorrow priests will come to intercede for him. See, therefore, that you not be persuaded to or acquiesce. Rather, tell Aquilius and Alexander the priest, who will be your successors and will rule my church, not by any means to receive him. As for you, you shall very quickly fulfill the lot of the martyr. And then he was martyred. St. Peter of Alexandria, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 28. Jesus said to his disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is at hand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Let those within the city escape from it and let those in the countryside not enter the city. For these days are the time of punishment when all the scripture are fulfilled. Woe to pregnant women, nursing mothers in those days. For a terrible calamity will, call, will come upon the earth and a wrathful judgment upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken as captives to all the Gentiles. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud and with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Venerable Bede would say, these are truly the days of vengeance. Days that will arise to punish this people for having spilt the blood of the Lord. It is uh, truth, uh, Venerable Bede here, uh, they are days of vengeance. And for those Jews that would persecute, crucify, and kill our Lord. That's true. But it also is the end of time when we will all stand in judgment and the world will go through such great calamity and tribulation. Haydock's commentary was very good today. It said, whoever reads Josephus's history of the calamities which befell Jerusalem before its destruction will find none of these terrible menaces unfulfilled. 70,000 were carried away captives in this war. After the soldiers were weary of killing, Titus ordered the finest of the young men to be kept to adorn his triumph. The number of captive Jews was so great in Rome as to make the heathen poet Rutilius, who lived about the year 410, complain of, its, of it as a great burden to the empire. Going on to say, after Jerusalem had been taken and destroyed by the Romans, another city was built from its ruins called Alia, after the name of Emperor Adrian. I'm not saying there's a court, you know, like a it's connection a here or anything. Evil emperors and our producer, I'm not making that Future connection. But nonetheless, Haydock's commentary goes on to say, this was inhabited by pagans and some Christians, for the Jews were forbidden even to come near it for more than two or three centuries. Tertullian, Tertullian informs us that they even bought at a great price permission to see it at a distance and drop a tear over the ashes of their ancient and ill-fated country. Thus was Jerusalem trodden underfoot till the time of the nations was accomplished. That is, till Christianity in every nation had triumphed over the persecution of paganism. According to the common exposition of this and some other places, the Jews from the time of the destruction of their temple and city under Titus Vespasian and especially from their utter destruction under the emperor Adrian, I'm just saying, Emperor Adrian, yeah, no cap. in punishment of their obstinate blindness, shall remain dispersed through the world under miseries and oppressions till the gospel hath been preached to all nations. Then, not long before the end of the world, the Jews shall be converted and acknowledge Jesus to be their true Messiah. Boy. Hey, Doc. Love it. If you have not read Josephus, go Google it. You can read it for free. There's plenty of resources online. Look at the description of how the Roman army encircled the city, how they starved them out, how they committed cannibalism. The Jews did. And how the bloodbath was so great. It's a horrendous thing. Let us not reject our Lord, but embrace it. Before it's too late for us, too. We'll be right back. Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. 
Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and then it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our, our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Thanksgiving Day. Praise be to God. And what are you supposed to do on Thanksgiving? Well, the classic answer is eat a lot of turkey, right? Commit the sin of gluttony today. That's what everybody says. But no, no, today we're going to talk about gratitude. Why do we call it Thanksgiving? Because of gratitude. So with me today is Dr. Theodore Rebard. He is a professor at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, and he was actually my professor, so pray for him. He had to endure that penance. But praise be to God. Thank you very much, Dr. Rebard, for being on with us. Being as I am, certainly cause no problems for any of my professors. Just don't ask any of them what they think. Don't ask Dr. Rebar what he thinks about it. Let's just take my word for it. I was a perfect student, but back to Thanksgiving and what we're grateful for. So thank you very much, Dr. Rebar, for being on with us. And Dr. Rebard, uh, so today we're celebrating Thanksgiving. So we're talking about gratitude. And, you know, when we talk about gratitude, People uh, tend to not quite understand what we mean. We live in a society where gratitude is almost a sign of weakness, one might say. So whenever we think of this, we think about what can we or what should we be thankful for? And this often comes up on Thanksgiving Day. It's common practice. People sit around the table and they talk about what are you thankful for? And so, Dr. Rebar, what are or what should we be grateful for? At the deepest root, we need to be grateful for our very existence. I want to return to that just a little bit later. Uh, it's the profoundest source and the profoundest meaning of gratitude or of thanksgiving. And everything else is a shadow or an echo uh, or a re-presentation of that. We could call it perhaps original gratitude. Uh, so <clears throat> having sounded that note, we have the largest possible outline of what gratitude is, and within which we can both fill in some details and return to the source or the most fundamental basic idea. Okay? But gratitude, let's say for the beginning, is an expression of appreciation for a gift that has been given, something that is not obligatory from the part of the giver. If you, and we all know this, if you give a gift to someone for a birthday or Christmas or for some occasion or even without a particular reason, uh, such as a man might happen to bring flowers to his wife. Well, what's the occasion? Well, it's none. It's just that this is, a, this is Wednesday. <laughs> right, and, and, the, and the common response when people do that is exactly that. They say, oh, you didn't have to do that. That's exactly right, but that touches the very nature of gifts. 
that they are not obligatory. You're obliged to pay for merchandise that you buy or services that you engage, but you are not obliged in the giving of gifts. So this valuation or appreciation or thanksgiving uh, is the expression in some way or other, perhaps words, perhaps action, perhaps some physical item uh, that is that renders visible or audible, that is some human expression uh, of the appreciation, the valuation of, uh, uh, the, uh, of the gift and its nature as being free. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the first thing that we, we should be thankful for and, you know, we should be doing this every morning when we wake up. The first thing we should do is to think, give thanks to God. And that is the first thing that we should be thankful for is God and in himself. And I think to myself, you know, what does St. Thomas say? He says uh, to that whenever, because God is so great and because we are so little, and like you were saying, it's something that is freely given. Our right. very existence, God creating the heavens and the earth, God creating the earth, God creating us, mm-hmm. God creating all these things. And just in himself, though, not even for the reasons of all these things, but just because he is good himself, mm-hmm. we should be thankful that he is. So when we talk about the doctrine of creation, the work of the six days, we're talking about a free gift. God, as we sort of humanly say before creation, is under no obligation to create the heavens and the earth. So immediately we have an example uh, in the work of the six days that calls for gratitude But that gratitude is not consciously and deliberately given by subhuman creations. It belongs properly to human nature and, of course, to angelic nature. And in the traditional doctrines of the uh, hierarchy of angels, the highest do nothing but give praise and thanks to God, the cherubim and the seraphim. Mm, That makes me think of... uh the Te Deum, you know, we praise you, O God, we acclaim you as Lord, everlasting Father. All the world bows down before you. All the angels sing your praise. It's such a beautiful thing. And to think that, you know, speaking of Thanksgiving, well, the first Thanksgiving in America, we people often will refer to Plymouth Rock, and, you know, that's the one we're referring to typically. But the first Eucharistic celebration, Eucharist meaning Thanksgiving, would happen at St. Augustine, Florida, And when they landed there, they said mass. But when they saw land, what did the sailors do? They immediately, they intoned the Te Deum Mm. and they sang the Te Deum. And I'm thinking, wow, those people had the Te Deum memorized. They Mm -hmm. just started singing it together. I couldn't do that. I would have to pull up the the words. Well, it's a... um I don't want us to have to to take a sideline on this, but what you're pointing out, it really dramatically, almost as though black and white, represents or or shows the difference of two cultures, a Catholic culture and the culture of the modern world. The culture of the modern world is, by some writers, and with very good reason, referred to as an anti-culture, whereas Catholic culture, above all, uh, is a traditional culture, which is faithful to the nature of man and God. Mm. And it's worth noticing that because it does show um, that we live in a hostile environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's and there's something attractive about gratefulness. Mm. It's it's something very attractive. And when people complain a lot, 
uh, that is very unattractive. You mm-hmm. see someone complaining or they're ungrateful, immediately it, it causes almost an ugliness about it. Whereas mm-hmm. gratitude is angelic. It mm-hmm. is, it's beautiful to see. It is, and it precisely is angelic as an echo. The gratitude expressed by the cherubim and the seraphim, the gratitude in a way, in a very, very faintly, but really analogous way within the Trinity is Mm -hmm. the ultimate source, the archetype. Then we have the uh, cherubim and the seraphim. And our gratitude is an imitation of that. Even, for instance, when you say please and thank you at the dinner table, that is a real imitation, although small, Uh, It is a real imitation of angelic gratitude. Uh, So let's let's talk for just a moment here about the nature of this primordial, this most basic gratitude to God. Everything else will be a further representation, as I say, a copy, a shadow, an imitation of that. There's a story uh, that occurs in the works of the 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, uh, and I've always loved this, this story since Peter Kreeft first told it to me many years ago. And the story is this. <clears throat> Ordinarily, if you pour a glass of wine, the glass has to be in your hand or on the table, and you open the wine bottle and you pour a glass of wine. And this is true about gifts, so that if I want to give my sister a gift on her birthday, she is at her house and uh, she lives out of state. And so uh, a gift is delivered to her street address for her. The point here is that the recipient has to exist before the gift can be given Mm. to the recipient, whether it's the wine glass receiving the wine, or in this example, my sister receiving some gift that I send to her. But the gift of creation, the gift that we receive, the gift that the entire universe receives from God is not like that. So Kierkegaard's representation of this for the imagination is that this is magic wine. And this wine, when poured out of the wine bottle, pours both the glass and the wine that is in it. So that the gift of creation gives us our very existence as well as our life and our intelligence and our will and our passions and all of the elements that are there for us to develop into virtues. Wow. So the completeness of the gift. And because, therefore, a gift uh, a gift calls for gratitude, and because gratitude is in proportion to the gift, a greater gift requires greater gratitude. If you pass me the salt at lunch, I say thank you, and that's fine. But if God gives me my very existence, the only thing that I can do that will even begin to express my gratitude is the gift of my existence back to him, which I owe in gratitude. And this also shows how gratitude is part of the virtue of religion and is part of the virtue of justice. It is part of the gift, uh, is part of the relationship or virtue of friendship. It is all of these things. So St. Thomas teaches that while gratitude is, has its association with justice and with piety, it has an association with friendship, it is nevertheless a distinct virtue of its own. 
Wow, that is really interesting, especially since, you know, when I was reading, I was prepping for this by reading St. Thomas on gratitude mm -hmm. and then his subsequent on ingratitude. And it surprised me of how much in this section he was quoting Seneca. Uh -huh. And he normally quotes, you know, Aristotle. He normally quotes Augustine, lots of the of the Bible. But he had a a, a noticeable amount of quotes from Seneca, mm -hmm. and I thought that was very interesting. Uh, the um, it has come to a, a rather broad attention lately, at least uh, among a fair number of Americans, a small number, but a fair number of Americans. Uh, and I think this particular, I'm finding this, now I may be wrong, this is purely anecdotal and purely a, a report of experience. I'm finding this <clears throat> particularly among young men, uh, that there is a growing interest or there is a somewhat lively interest in the, that group of Roman thinkers called the Stoics. Uh, and I think on the part of young men, this is a natural reaction and response against what I would simply call the softness uh, of the anti-culture mm. in which we live. But it's interesting also that, uh, that St. Thomas frequently, not only here, but in other places, will cite not only, of course, Aristotle. Now, he did not know Plato, so he, didn't cite, he, didn't, he couldn't cite Plato little bits, but for the most part, the works of Plato had not returned into circulation uh, and Latin translation in Western Europe by St. Thomas's time. He quotes um, Aristotle, he quotes Augustine, as you point out, and he quotes the Bible. These are the most three most common sources that St. Thomas uses. But here he's using the Stoics, and he will use Cicero uh, also at, at other times. And <clears throat> so what we, what we might want to note here is that while gratitude is perfected in grace, it is also natural in man and his relationship to God. And, you know, this, of course, is just one of many, many examples of that general principle that grace perfects nature. Exactly. And I want to pick up on that right after the break. So we're going to take a real quick break and we're going to come right back after this short break. So don't go anywhere. And we're going to talk about the natural virtue and how Christ supernaturalizes that virtue of gratitude, that gift of thanksgiving. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Catholic Drive Time. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most people think that rules apply to others but not to themselves? They always consider themselves to be the exception. But what ends up happening is that everybody is an exception, and so the rules don't apply to anybody. The result is something worse than chaos. It's a loss of all the categories of respect and justice. G.K. Chesterton says that when the exception has become the rule, that is the worst of all possible tyrannies. When the Cardinal, formerly known as Ratzinger, gave his final homily before the papal conclave, he said, we are living under the tyranny of relativism. What is relativism? It's when there are no rules, only exceptions. The man about to become Pope was echoing Chesterton exactly. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for folks. 
vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Be to Jesus Christ, and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today is Thanksgiving Day, so give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for your family, for your friends, for that turkey in the oven right now. Mmm, I can't wait. So, we have Dr. Theodore Rebard is in studio with us right now to talk about Thanksgiving and the gift of gratitude. Before the break, we were talking about how, you know, in the culture right now, it's a very odd thing that there's a lot of young men who are really taken with the Stoics. And St. Thomas, when talking about gratitude, keeps bringing up uh, the the Stoics. And you're like, okay, well, that's kind of odd. You think he'd be quoting the Bible. Maybe he'd be quoting St. Augustine. But why is he quoting the Stoics and Dr. Rebard was saying how, you know, this, this gift of gratitude is in fact a natural virtue. So we're going to talk about how it is a natural virtue and how does Christ and the gospel supernaturalize this virtue. Dr. Rebard? So let me, um, let me develop uh, let me develop a point that you made earlier, Adrian, uh, which is essentially this, that gratitude does not exist in isolation. We find this very commonly uh, in the world in which we live, where, for instance, as you indicated, people perhaps sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner or chit-chatting before or after will make little gratitude lists. Uh, I'm grateful to my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, my sisters, brothers, co-workers, who, you know, whatever the, the, the case may be. And these, of course, are true, true expressions. Your, your neighbor may be neighborly and help you out with things or loan you uh, possessions of his, and you may have a good boss at work uh, who exhibits uh, a generosity about accommodations when something maybe is, if someone is ill or something like this. Okay, and so we list these things. We list these, we can easily list these things, but the difficulty that quietly may intrude here is imagining that gratitude can exist in isolation. That I can sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table and I can thank my mom, my dad for all they did for all those years, bringing, uh, raising my, my siblings and myself, and I can thank my uh, colleagues for their contributions to, to my work, uh, and on and on and on of this sort. But ultimately, and most profoundly, thanksgiving has to be owed to God. It's the primordial, it's the foundational example. So I would, I would express this this way. Uh, <clears throat> the reason that thanksgiving cannot, with a T, capital T or a small t, cannot be reduced to a merely secular holiday is that to think of gratitude in isolation I thank my neighbor for loaning me his lawnmower when mine didn't work, uh, or uh, I am uh, uh, grateful for a reminder from a friend that, by the way, you have to go to the doctor today. Um, gratitude cannot exist in that kind of isolation. It's not merely a secular holiday. Even in nature, it is already sacred because it ultimately is owed to God. To imagine that gratitude can be isolated from God, can be sealed off from God, is as though you could be grateful for the water that came out of the tap without acknowledging the reservoir. Mm. Uh, 
And that maybe gives us a place in a very, very ordinary example that does not refer to grace yet uh, about gratitude itself. And why, again, you know, going back to the texts of St. Thomas that you cited before the break, that St. Thomas can cite the pagan Romans in talking about gratitude. Yes, that's really interesting. You know, we we think about these things and how the virtue of religion. This is this shocks a lot of people. People, when you bring this up, they are they're in disbelief. There's whenever people say, you know, the Ten Commandments, all of them, even the first three, can be known by all people. It's the law that's written on the hearts of all men, and so we are all bound to obey the first three commandments along with the following seven, mm -hmm. which are you know giving honor to God primarily. The first three commandments are related to that, and so this idea that there is a virtue of religion that everybody owes you, even if you're not Catholic, mm -hmm. even if you're a pagan heathen, you still are are obligated to give God his glory, whereas the virtue of, uh, of the, the obligation to go to Mass on Sunday mm -hmm. is not binding on people who are not baptized. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a small distinction there. But people are flabbergasted when you say, yes, even the atheist mm -hmm. is obligated to give God his due because it is a virtue of religion. Another angle on this which supplements and reinforces what you're saying, Adrian, is the way and how we're, St. Thomas treats the virtue of religion. One might think, and I remember being a high school kid and kind of thinking this, oh, well, I suppose, you know, if you went to St. Thomas, whom I had never read when I was in high school, uh, he would have a section that you could find and, and virtue, or the virtue of religion would be named there and he would talk about it. And that's kind of right, but it's not sufficiently right to, to get what he's doing. Religion, the virtue of religion is treated within the, just, the virtue of justice. And when you recognize that justice is a natural virtue, that, for example, I must repay a debt if I say borrowed money from someone, uh, that I am obliged to return things that I have borrowed in the condition in which they were lent to me. Uh, this is called the law of deposits, and it's just a natural, completely natural law. But within this is also uh, the virtue of religion, which is the return in the best proportion that I can offer, which is always inadequate, of gratitude to God. Absolutely. And in regards to that, you know, we so, talked... Excuse me. So gratitude suffuses all religious acts, whether mm -hmm. that be... Uh, uh, well, let's start with the ultimate one, whether that be at Mass mm -hmm. or whether that be in other places and times in your life. Absolutely. And, and talking about mass for just a second, and we'll go backwards. Uh, you know, every person who's listening to this, you know, they can, they owe thanks to God. But as a Catholic, what is the greatest way that we can give our thanks to God? We mentioned at the very beginning of the show, how at the very minimum, at the very minimum, because we are so infinitely less than God, all we can give God is our very existence. Mm -hmm. But because Christ became man and died on the cross, he has given us the opportunity to offer up the one sacrifice of infinite value to the Father. And let's, in that context, remember uh, what's implicit in what you're saying. When we list out the purposes of Mass, what are the purposes? If I ask myself, kneeling down uh, at Mass, what 
am I, what am I doing here? What, am I, what, what are supposed to be my intentions here? Now, I suspect it is very easy for all of us to say, well, you know, my cousin who is sick uh, and uh, a, a co-worker who is not being cooperative on the job and, and, and <clears throat> things of this sort. The first purpose, the first intention at Mass is praise of God. And the second is thanksgiving. Then we have uh, 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 penance or repentance, and finally <laughs> we have petition. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's a often forgotten thing. Is and the analogy people give is acts. You know, adoration, mm -hmm. contrition, thanksgiving, and then supplication is the last one right, on the list. Right. People uh -huh. kind of invert that and put the supplication as the first, and then sometimes only the only one. Uh, but you know. Some of us remember, um, I'm old enough to remember that uh, that mnemonic device, the word acts, uh, I remember that from elementary school. Awesome. That's mm -hmm. pra Yeah, praise be to God. I think uh, this is a whole other topic that I get into, but I loved Dr. Smith, who we've had on the show a couple weeks ago, his book on the sermons of Aquinas and how Aquinas would use uh, a verse of scripture as a mnemonic device to mm -hmm. help people remember. And I feel like that's that's such a lost thing, something mm -hmm. that's very easy to remember. But, you know, speaking of, of this idea of that we should give gratitude to people for things like that that they give us, even on the natural level. Mm -hmm. uh, people, our friends, our family, they do something for us, and that St. Thomas says that ingratitude is actually a sin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was blown away by this when I was reading this. I was like, oh my goodness, how many people commit the sin of ingratitude? Mm -hmm. Because they reckon they, they have this gift that's given to them, and they don't respond to it. You know, here is another feature of, um, I use this expression, the anti-culture in which we live. Many Catholics today live in uh, a survival culture. Now, what I mean by that is that we don't live in this anti-culture. Our own culture is something more ancient, something truer. And when we, and others as well, uh, were <clears throat> brought up as children, one of the basic things that we learned at very, very young age is please and thank you, sir and ma'am, always. Those are expressions of appreciation for the superiority of adults to children, for gratitude of something. For instance, you're buying a Coke in a convenience store, and do you say thank you to the clerk and look that clerk in the eyes? If you do, Many of us do that because we learned it as very small children. But this is somewhat fading, even on the natural level. You know, I, in, now in that you mentioned that, that's very interesting because I've never, I've never really given it much thought. But I have noticed this, and I'm curious as your comments, because we have to go to a break in just one second. So we'll talk, pick this up on the other side of the break. But, you know, what, what we're going to talk about is this idea that have you ever noticed someone in your family, maybe just walking about, you hear someone say something like, oh, I don't need to say thank you. They're giving me what I paid for. I paid for that. So I don't need to say thank you. Uh, or these kind of ideas are coming up all over the places. The spirit of ingratitude. So we're going to talk about the spirit of ingratitude on the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere and don't worry. We're going to give you the cure. So stay around. We'll be right back after this short break. 
I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. If Jesus brought two of the greatest Old Testament saints to meet with three of the greatest New Testament saints at the Mount of Transfiguration, can you say with any assurance that they were not alive, aware, and able to communicate? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Luke 9 says, quote, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Did you catch that? They were talking with Jesus. That means they have cognitive capability. Secondly, heavenly friends. Those in heaven long for your prayer requests. Their intercession far exceeds your best friend's prayers here on earth. Sorry to say that. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. Well, Oral Roberts University has the prayer tower. TBN has a prayer department. Your home church probably has a prayer hotline. Well, guess what? Heaven has on-demand, pure, unselfish prayer warriors known as the great cloud of witnesses. They're waiting on you. Christ. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today we're talking about gratitude. We're talking about ingratitude. Why? Because it's Thanksgiving. What else can we talk about today, right? So let's give God some thanks today. Stick your head out the window and say, thank you, God. And then maybe if you can make it to Holy Mass today, because what greater good could you give to people than to head over to Holy Mass and offer the Mass in thanksgiving to God? Don't ask him for anything today. Don't ask for nothing. Don't ask for anything. Just say thank you, God, and give God some praise today. And uh, Before the break, we had Dr. Rebard was talking about ingratitude and the, the, how we have created a spirit of ingratitude in our culture. So I want to go back to that topic, and I'm just thinking about the fact that the story of the lepers, whenever our Lord came through and he cured 10 lepers. Now imagine, imagine if you were stuck with some horrific disease and you're hanging out and you're at the hospital, you have all of your buddies who are in the same ward as you, and you all have the same sickness. You're all dying of cancer. And this man comes over and he blesses you, and all of y'all are cured, and he sends y'all away and what happens? Only one of the lepers came back to our Lord to thank him. That is astonishing, one, because of the gratitude of the one leper. But what's more astonishing is the ingratitude of the nine. Uh, Dr. Rebar, what are your thoughts on this passage? Well, <clears throat> what's happening, what, one of the things... One of the things that's happening, and we have mentioned that, that uh, gratitude is a virtue and it has acts of itself, of course, uh, as every virtue has acts, so that there's a virtue of justice and when I pay my electric bill, pedestrian as that is, that's an act of justice. So also just gratitude has its acts as well as being something that is of or in or about my very character. To be ungrateful is then to be self-destructive. Gratitude is something about ourselves in our characters that we can, like other natural virtues, build up as well as supernaturally be assisted in that growth through prayer and the sacraments. 
But in any event, to be ungrateful is to reject something that is naturally proper to or belonging to who you are as a human being. And it is a self-destructive act. Uh, very, very, uh, I suppose very famously, C.S. Lewis in a wonderful book called The Great Divorce represents those in hell as being shadowy, ghost-like, uh, gray, almost transparent diminutions of the human beings that they were before death. And it is moving in that infernal direction that we move, that we change, become less through acts of ingratitude. Wow. You know, what you're, that, that description of C.S. Lewis's great divorce and the people there, it really reminds me of Our Lady as the inverse of that. Mm -hmm. Because Our Lady, her soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. He looks on his servant in her lowliness. Mm -hmm. the, the words of Our Lady in these words, it's, it's just marvelous because she talks about, she's so grateful to God. And St. Thomas in his, in his uh, treaties, he, he says, who should be more grateful? The person who has was a horrific sinner and is brought into salvation or the person who never sinned. And he, our lady here is saying, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Yet who is she? She is the immaculate conception. Mm -hmm. She has never committed a sin yet. Her soul magnifies the Lord It's the exact opposite of the ungrateful who are shadowy people. Instead, our lady is the moon which reflects the light of the sun. Let's also remember, and I can't, I wish I could recall uh, who said this and where I, where I read it to give due uh, credit, but in any event, you know, we pray frequently to our Blessed Mother. The Rosary is our best example. Uh, we have the Litany of Our Lady of Loretto, and we have all of those wonderful, wonderful titles. Uh, <clears throat> the one that, is, uh, that I want to identify here for just a moment is um, <clears throat> Queen of Heaven. Okay. Regina Chaley in the Latin uh, form of that, of that litany. When we pray to Our Lady, we are praying, her, praying to her for her intercession. And the remark that I read just a few months ago was bear in mind that when we pray to our Blessed Mother to pray for our intentions, she offers to our Lord not merely a supplication such as we would offer, but the command of a queen. Mm. And we recall, of course, in the Old Testament, queenship is, the queen is not the spouse of the king, but the mother of the king. Wow. And we have this, of course, reenacted for us in the uh, doctrine and in the intercession in the, the litany of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven. Absolutely. And, you know, we've rightfully given so much uh, discussion to giving thanks to God. But at the same time, and this ultimately everything ends in the thanksgiving to God. Uh, however, we also just I just want to think about how we should be so grateful to Our Lady mm -hmm. for all the graces that she gives us and thankful to our angel, our guardian angels. Mm -hmm. How many times would we have died? How would we have done something that we shouldn't have done? Have we been guided away from temptation or conquered temptation because of our guardian angels? Mm -hmm. And then are the rest of our heavenly friends, the saints who have become our patrons, we should be so grateful to this great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful if everyone, and of course this will depend on 
on, on who you are and what you do and what your circumstances are, but everyone should have at least uh, a small number, uh, a cadre, a, a platoon of, of patrons. So, for instance, you know, we think of the obvious ones, patrons of various occupations and various problems. St. Teresa of Lisieux is a patron of the sick, as is uh, St. Camillus Lellis is patron of, of the sick and of nursing, and all of the St. Florian and firemen, uh, and, and so it goes, and so it goes. Uh, so if you, for instance, I, uh, I'm a teacher, and so St. Albert the Great and St. Thomas are obviously uh, natural patrons. If somebody does, I, I was uh, this is one of my, <laughs> one of my favorites because it's so offbeat. Uh, <clears throat> but I had a friend in high school whose dad worked for Budweiser as a brewer, and Saint Augustine of Hippo, the great Saint Augustine, is the patron saint of brewers. Really, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> but you can you, you, know, you can discover, regardless of what the the traditional ones are, such as the examples that I gave, uh, there will be saints whose lives appeal to you. Uh, I think, for example, uh, some of the martyrs, and in our time, I think this is highly appropriate. You know, we've said that we live in an anti-culture, and uh, uh, metaphorically, I, I want to make this remark, that if we think of the ship of the church, the bark of the church, sailing in toxic waters today in the 21st century, one aspect of this metaphor uh, and this traditional language that's important to remember is Ships don't sink because of the water around them. They, ship, mm -hmm. they sink because of the water around them that they take on through leaks. Uh, but in any case, if we wish to uh, prosecute our lives uh, uh, effectively in grace, then we need to gather uh, a number of patrons. And this brings me back to the example that I wanted to use, which is St. Maximilian Pro. St. Maximilian Pro. Maximilian Pro or Colby? Colby as okay. well, but I happen to like... Miguel Pro. Miguel Pro. Okay, I'm okay. sorry, yes, right. It's Miguel Pro. And, and why? Well, because in the Cristero Wars, which are not quite 100 years old, mm -hmm. okay, uh, in the Cristero Wars, um, uh, Miguel Pro was a martyr under an anti-clerical regime begun with, as, as everybody knows, you know, um, uh, Plinio uh, Caes, uh, and then the PRI was founded after his presidency. But it's this very, very anti-clerical regime that governed Mexico for three generations. Uh, well, okay, so Maximilian Pro does not take on water from the anti-culture around him, and it costs him his life. St. Thomas More is mm -hmm. yet another great example of this. And St. Thomas More reminds us also of this general principle that I'm illustrating through a metaphor about ships and water in, in his having said, there is no world so evil that a good man cannot live in it. Wow. And when a martyr tells you that, it should stick in your ears. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is that is a great point and an excellent transition into talking about being thankful for our crosses. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you would think, okay, I'm thankful because God has blessed me with so many gifts, like my wealth, my health, my family, my friends. But do we ever stop and think, thank you, God, for my crosses. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, for letting me suffer. And that is when you read the lives of the martyrs, of the victim souls, which is even, honestly, I think worse than some of the lives of some of the martyrs, they are amazing to see and to think these saints were grateful 
to suffer. One of the best examples of this uh, among many, many is St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross, it's hard even to imagine. St. John of the Cross, of course, was a Carmelite, and he was a Carmelite at the time, along with St. Teresa of Avila, uh, who was engaged in the reform of the Carmelite order. We have an order that we call the Discalced Carmelites. Those are the ancient Carmelites, and their patrons would include St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. But John was imprisoned in roughly a, I believe it was a six by eight or six by 10 cell by his own confreres. And it was then, it was in that, it isn't even what we would think of as a prison cell, that he began to compose his, uh, his great canticle of, uh, canticle of love. Mm, wow. Yeah, the, the, the lives of the martyrs and seeing the joy they have to be able to suffer for Christ and, and, and looking at Christ, that he was willing to take on the suffering. Mm-hmm. He was willing to do this out of love for us. And then the amazing thing is, you know, we our suffering is so utterly and completely meaningless without Christ. This is this is the power of Christ's person and redemptive act that it not only gives meaning and value to our ordinary lives, but it transforms, it transfigures even pain and suffering into meaningful moments in our lives. Amen. Amen. And we have to go to a quick break. And uh, actually, this is going to be the end of the first hour. So at the other side of the hour, we're going to come back and we're going to talk some more. And I want to focus a little bit about the crosses, the crosses we carry, the sufferings that we endure. So if you can stay with us for the next hour, hang on and we'll be right back right after this. If not, have a great Thanksgiving. God bless you. God love you. Make sure you make it a mass and give thanks to God today for the great gifts that he has given you. Thank God for the gift of your crosses today. On the other side of the break, more with Dr. Rebard. Stay with us if you can. God love you. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave to GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Sometimes it can seem that our family life is humdrum, monotonous, and insignificant. But Christ began his public ministry at the wedding at Cana. When we read this account in the gospel, we're reminded that our marriage, our ordinary family life, is important to God. Our Lord and Our Lady love our families, and they are present with us. They desire to change what is ordinary into the extraordinary. The Lord can take our simple and everyday tasks and make them holy. Like the servants at the wedding at Cana, we need to notice when we run out of wine, when we run out of joy, when we run out of love. It is then that we turn to Our Lady and ask for her help. She can bring Christ into our lives, our ordinary water, and transform it into wine. And when we invite Christ into our lives to transform us, He creates the best wine of all. 
For more advice, ideas, and encouragement, visit us at MessyFamilyProject.org. Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, You are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hi, I'm Peter Lombardi, owner of Visiting Angels Senior Home Care. You are listening to KSHJ AM 1430 in Houston. Radio for your soul. There's a brand new book out from Tan Publishing, Tan Books. Catholics in the Kitchen, Nurturing the Bond Between Faith and Food. And the author is joining us right now, Alexandra Greeley. Good morning to you, Miss Greeley. We're grateful for your time today. Thanks for, for being on with us and sharing your book with us. Uh, food. Who doesn't love food, especially during Thanksgiving week, right? I mean, it's the it's the penultimate. It's the uh, the highlight. It's the, the chief feast day of grazing of the buffet line <laughs> at the house. Uh, and that you actually address gluttony in the book, too, by the way. <laughs> but uh, we're grateful for your time today. Tell us about this brand new book that you put out through TAN. Well, it was inspired by cooking classes I used to do at St. Veronica, my church in Virginia. And then um, I also arrived for the National Catholic Register interview priests and chefs and farmers uh, about food and faith. And so mostly the people in it have been, uh, have been on National Catholic Register. My editor gave me permission to pursue them, and they were very grateful to be part of this project because they shared their their faith and their uh, how they connected food with faith, because without food we wouldn't be alive anyway. So yeah, <laughs> amen. Praise be to God. You know, one of the the, the points that that uh, the themes that I saw early on, looking through the introduction, was just you know how food has affected us as as human beings. You know, uh, affected our families, affected our relationships, affected you know, the people around us and how it can change the dynamics of those uh, relationships quite significantly. Can you speak to that for a moment, please? Well, I think that the parents who, who take the time to give their family a dinner and sit down and converse and, you know, bring bring each other together helps build a family community, helps build a spiritual community as well. And if parents don't do that, if they just, you know, hand them a a hot dog or something and run out the door. I don't think that builds a, a a family community at all. And that's what you have to do if you're going to bring people together, especially with Catholicism. You've mm. just got to, you know, treat people as, as with great deal of respect and feeding them a good food is, is what does it. Yeah, I think uh, maybe the TV dinner could have been the worst thing we've done in the last uh, 60, 70 years. I mean, uh, setting ourselves in front of the 
as what we used to call the boob tube, and uh, and eating our meals there. It kind of ruined dinner for the family. Something that my wife and I have have uh, made sure to bring back. We're getting rid of the television and making sure the family sits and eats t- around a table. Uh, that that is an issue. Too many families are broken up that way, aren't they? They certainly are. Or they you know to get fast food and that's it. But if you sit down and converse and bring neighbors together and friends together and family members together, it builds a community. And I think people really have got to learn to respect that and go back to doing that. You know, mm. that's how you how you rebuild your faith, how you re- rebuild your parish. It's all part of, you know, making making families stronger is, is eating together. Food and faith are connected. Yeah. I mean, thinking back on sacred scripture, uh, you have uh, the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. You've got uh, sacred meals all throughout the Old Testament, in fact, not just the Passover, but others. Uh, Abraham feeds the, the three mysterious strangers. Some would say a theophany there in the Old Testament. You have, uh, you have Saint Peter, um, you know, seeing all these animals declared clean on a sheet in the New Testament, and you have the wedding feast of the Lamb, and so much more. All food seems to play a pretty prominent role uh, thematically, in addition to the sacrifice of the Holy Mass as well in the New Testament. Uh, maybe was that a big influence in your writing as well? Well, it was certainly a big influence in my starting the cooking classes at my parish and and being involved with, you know, I started a farmer's market there. I started a, a garden there because you have to feed people to bring them together. And this is one way to do it is to make people interested in food. And I know, how else can you bring them back to, to being a family and to having, being a, building a community? You just can't build a community if you're, you're running by a, a takeout place and that's it. You just <laughs> You know, it's very interesting, um, uh, Mrs. Alexandria, you know, it's very interesting to me because, you know, we have a love for food, and obviously you can you can tell I, I like food quite a bit, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the the culture is pushing us. You hear all the time that we need to eat the bugs, and we have to, uh, and they promote the uh, this, this fast food mentality, this get the, the cheap food, get the, the processed food. And it's very interesting that the it is the it's a lot of Catholics who have been rising up recently. And you and you cite many of them in your book uh, who are pushing for this agrarian lifestyle, going back to the land, a Christian uh, land movement. These ideas of eating organic, um, buying uh, grass-fed meat, all these ideas have been very popular among faithful Catholics. Whenever the culture is saying the exact opposite, what do you think the connection is there? Well, because if you don't, I mean, thinking of a Catholic farmer, um, and you think, well, James Ennis, a book was dedicated to him. He's head of Catholic rural life. And you have to have the farmers treat the soil and the people that they're feeding with with great reverence to God. And you can't do that if you're going to give them a, you know, a hot dog and go to a fast food place because there's no, no reverence there. It's just, you know, whatever anyone puts together. It takes time to cook and you've got to take the, it takes energy to go shopping. It takes uh, time to set the table and to get people together, but but that's at the end. That's what it's all about: is bringing people together, getting them to respect food and to respect God. Mm. Your book breaks it down into looks like three categories: farmers, priests, and uh, and and like uh, chefs and cooks. Those that would 
that would uh, have uh, restaurants, things like that. And I found that very fascinating, especially on the farmer section, specifically uh, something Adrian said a minute ago. There is a resurgence. Uh, my, my family, my mom, my, or rather my grandmother, my grandfather owned a farm in Indiana. And I was talking earlier on the show that I loved, I loved going to the farm as a kid. And they grew crops and they had livestock and, and all the rest. And they hunted and, and used their property to provide for their family's needs. Uh, it seems like we got away from that over the past few generations. But now we're seeing a resurgence of people wanting to go back to it. Young families who've never done yes. homesteading, uh, who've never done farming. And, and they're discovering how incredible that life is. Again, do you think it's possible that we might see a time, especially in the midst of corporate farming, uh, corporations buying hundreds of thousands of acres across our country today. You think it's possible to get back to the family farm? Absolutely. And I've interviewed many farmers. And as I said, James Ennis, head of Catholic World Life, is much of a, a promoter of family farms again because that brings people without tractors and you know big machines. It brings people back to reverent, revert, re, re, reverencing the land because that's what God gave us, mm. and that's what's really important. And if you know anything about Catholic, uh, Catholic Rural Life, look it up. It is an amazing, amazing organization that really is dedicated to bringing people and back to personal farming. Really amazing. We've also I, we've also really messed with our food quite a bit over those uh, same generations. Uh, everything is uh, processed. There's a lot of chemicals involved. And yes. in, in some cases, we can we can do so much damage to the soil that it takes a very long time for it to kind of work itself out. And that has had lasting effects on our health and the society around us, the way our emotions work in relation to food and everything else. How, how do you see that at play with the people that you've author, uh, written about in your book? Well, I think the most people who are home cooks try to buy basic foods. They don't go buy foods that have been uh, processed with chemicals. They buy, you know, natural natural ingredients. They buy organic ingredients. They don't buy things, as I said, that have, you know, been canned or processed. And I think that's, it goes back to the farmers trying to avoid using horrible fertilizers that, that destroy the soil, destroy the um, the insects that, that, you know, fertilize the soil, the animals that fertilize the soil. You've got to go back to, to nature and let God tell us how to run the farm, run the, run the earth, because he's in charge, we're not. Yeah. Was there a particular story amongst the, that section on farmers that really stood out to you? Well, it's James Ennis, once again, because I think what he's done has been miraculous, going from you know, state to state. Uh, city to city, trying to get farmers back to, to, mm. to tilling their own soil. He's an amazing person and has really changed, I think, the farming, or trying to change the farming life in the United States. Mm. He's, he's an amazing human being. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Greeley, in, in these conversations that you had with uh, people returning to this, this movement, what would you say is the most challenging aspect of, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have this, uh, this experience. They don't, um, you know, they, they live in the city, but they have this deep desire to go and, and start a, a farm and uh, build a family around the farm and, and kind of uh, work out their salvation on the farm by the sweat of their brow. Uh, wh what kind of challenges uh, did they speak about? And did they give any advice for, for people who want to go and, and do something like this, like a homestead? 
Well, it's it took them. Uh, one of the people I've interviewed, I think it's in the National Catholic Register. They simply uh, decided they could not stand living in the suburban community. They went out to the country, and it was a lot of hard work. And they gave up a lot of their financial uh, savings to do this. But it was, in the end, it was worth it. They're able to feed neighbors and. Uh, uh, in their community, able to give them decent food, organic food, and it really changed their perspective on um, bringing goodness and health to their fellow man. Mm. And it was very inspiring to listen to that. How, how people, um, you know, really go back to natural farming. Yeah, it's I was. Good for us. I was just looking at uh, one of your testimonies here, or one of the stories that you've written about a Mike, the the rancher in Colorado. Yes. Uh, he yes, says, as a rancher, he was also working to develop a regenerative production model, diversifying the cattle production with pigs and chickens, having a diversity of livestock on the landscape combined with cover cropping, native tree planting, and other environmental practices helps to restore the fragile High Plains ecosystem. And what I found interesting about that was, uh, you know, uh, I hunt as a hunter. Um, I'm often reminded that those that do conservation tend to be the ones that are active and hunters provide for the most conservation when it comes to fishing game and hunting and whatever. And I see the same thing going on here as a rancher. He is very much involved, let alone super interested in making sure that the land is well taken care of. Something you've spoken now a few times on in this conversation. Right. Well, he was, he's a fascinating man, really interesting devout a very devout catholic and wanted to return a nature to, to what god had provided for us in the beginning before we decided to you know run tractors and put out chemicals on our soil he's very devout that way and and to bring animals up in a healthy way so that we're not eating a lot of chemically infused meat mm. mm -hmm. organic organic you, foods you now one thing that i was thinking about and when you're discussing the the way that catholics treat the land and this idea of organic, all these ideas, you know, in the introduction that the tan writers uh, put in there, they, one of the lines they said was, we snack so much throughout the day that when we sit down for a meal, it doesn't feel all that special. And it really made me, made me think about that for a second because um, you had just mentioned like having respect for the food, respect for the food we eat. And it, that, that goes in so many different directions. One, we respect the food, meaning like the animals that we take care of, uh, the land that we own, um, but also our relationship with food. Like, yes, we love food, but at the same time, we have to have a, we can't be gluttonous. We want to, there's an element of feasting and fasting. So on celebratory days, we fat, we throw uh, festivals, but also there's periods of fasting during the church. Could you talk about more about, um, what do you mean by like having respect for our food? I think that the problem with modern society, especially in the United States, is that um, people tend to walk away from taking the time to cook basic foods and they instead go to market and buy lots of things as i just said before mm -hmm. that have all these chemicals in it that are fast to put together you know dinner gets on the table in five or ten minutes rather than taking time to cook from scratch basic ingredients organic ingredients and they you you know you just ruin your fate you, you you ruin your faith and you ruin your health by eating this contaminated food yeah the other thing, I, just the, the husbandry that goes into caring for those animals and seeing them through the whole process. I, when I started, uh, when I felt the need to go hunting for the first time in my life, I was an adult by that point, 
And uh, I, I, I felt like I needed to take the whole process very seriously. I felt like I needed to train well so that I'd be a good shot. Uh, but I learned I needed to become a better hunter. And then I knew that when I fir first harvested my first animal that I needed to butcher it myself, not give it to somebody else to deal with, but to do all of it myself. From the time that I went out to hunt to the time I fed that meat to my family, I wanted to be completely involved in that process. And that gave me a new appreciation and understanding of uh, what goes into how our food is prepared. And I think that education has now since gone on to my children. They've seen that process firsthand and participated in it themselves. Whereas so many people will just go to the grocery store and get their meat on a styrofoam plate with some cellophane on top and then not have a clue where where that meat came from. So well, we're talking about uh, this brand new book out of Tan called Catholics in the Kitchen. Uh, Alexander Greeley is the author. We're going to go to a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to continue this conversation. Priests are up next. Cooking priests. It's more than Father Leo Padalina, although he's involved as well. All that and more is coming up right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Catholic Drive Time. We'll be right back. Why do Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven? Doesn't God rebuke the Israelites in the Old Testament for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven? Should we not refer to Mary with that title, therefore, since it's a title of a false god? In Jeremiah 7, verse 18, God is indeed upset with the Israelites for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven. However, just because God rebuked them for worshiping the false Queen of Heaven doesn't mean that we cannot pay honor to the true Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother. That type of thinking would lead you to believe that just because people worship a false god that they call God, we therefore should not call the true God by that same name, God, because that's the same name the idolaters use for their God. That is faulty logic and it makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the fact that there is a false queen of heaven does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false goddess when we call Mary the queen of heaven. Just as the fact that there is a false god does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false god when we call our Father in heaven God. And there is a true queen of heaven. We see this quite clearly in Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's see. There's a woman. She's in heaven. And she has a crown on her head. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the cleaning lady. No, it's the true queen of heaven, Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule the nations. We do not worship Mary. We honor her just as Jesus honors her. So there is absolutely nothing wrong from a scriptural point of view in calling Mary the queen of heaven and in honoring her just as Jesus honors her. After all, if Jesus is the king, then Mary is truly the queen mother of heaven. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's good to be on with you. Alexandra Greeley is our guest. She is the author of a brand new book out of 10 books called uh, Catholics in the Kitchen. And uh, welcome back to the show, Miss Greeley. It's so uh, good to have you on with us. Very interesting book here. It's broken up into the sort of three categories, farming, sort of rural life. We were discussing that in the last segment. It also has a priest section and as well, uh, like sort of cooks, you know, those that are in the food professional business. 
So very, very fascinating book. It, it covers this topic from a variety of, of angles here. Let's talk about the priest, though, uh, Miss Greeley. Uh, everybody thinks cooking, they think Father Leo Padalin hug, but there's others, aren't there? There are there are many others. Um, not, unfortunately, I couldn't do all of them in the book, but there are many others. And what they do, they serve their uh, parishioners or they serve their fellow priests. They have, uh, you know, cook for other people. And it's very inspiring to see them do that because they help feed the poor. They help feed people's souls and spirits. And it's it's a wonderful image to, to see a priest taking the, the time and the effort to do that. And some of the priests are actually wonderful cooks. Some of them were professional cooks before they became a priest. Oh, wow. Which is a step forward, I must say. Can you... Uh, can one you, of my favorite... Go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask you to share one. Well, it's, he's not in the book, but he's uh, he was a priest at my parish in, in Virginia. And he now is at the Basilica, a minor Basilica of St. Mary in Alexandria. And he does cooking videos that he posts for his parishioners. Oh, wow. And he's a good cook. He's a wonderful cook. I mean, can you imagine a priest doing that? It's such a way to inspire parishioners to mm. together to eat and enjoy food. Yeah. But a lot of the priests that are, are just, like Father Leo is an amazing chef and an amazing priest. Mm. He did a demonstration at our my parish at St. Veronica. And he let me help him doing prepping the food for the, the people who assembled there. And he's an amazing priest, and he's an amazing cook. So it's mm. wonderful to see how priests make that connection between food and faith, because that's what God gave us, you know, food and faith. Yeah, it's really a, a gift. I'm wondering, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are, are listening to the show, and they're going to say, oh, I could never cook something so great, you know, like, I'm just not a bad, I'm a bad chef. I, I couldn't be able to do that. What would you say to those people who, um, who are on the fence? Do you think this, uh, this, uh, this cookbook is really going to maybe inspire them a little bit? Well, I hope, I hope it will inspire them, but I hope that they will read about what people, the profiles that were written about these people, how it brings them together with God and to Catholicism yeah. because it's very important. If they don't, if we if they don't cook, read about these profiles. These people are very inspiring. Mm -hmm. They're wonderful people. Who, you know, bring you, bring you to their faith, and that's that's important that people understand that that you know, food and faith may be a very strange connection to them, but faith is important. And if, if you're a Catholic, you know, you can pray to God. Read about how people are inspired by their faith. I like throughout the book that you sprinkled uh, quotes from saints that have talked about food, which is so, uh, it's so, uh, uh, it's so interesting to me because it's not, not something you typically connect with the saints. Mm. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of very fascinating saints who've done some wonderful things, really. Yeah. You know, cooking is, anyway, it's, it's just important for people to read, read the text, even if they don't ever cook. Read about these wonderful Catholics. Yes, you know, and one thing, you know, we're getting into the season where there's tons of holidays coming up. We have, you know, the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe. We have the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. We have Christmas. Um, today, whenever this is broadcasting, because this is a pre-recorded show, will be today will be Thanksgiving. And so we have all these different holidays. 
And people want to know, and for, obviously for Thanksgiving, you have your traditional meals. You have a turkey, you got ham, you got your mashed potatoes, you got all those things, uh, your stuffing, and I'm missing other people's favorite dishes, so I'm very <laughs> going to freak out. But at the same time, we all have all these other feast days in the church and cultural feast days. How is it that we can celebrate them? And can you give some examples of what some ideas are for some of these special feast days that are coming up? Well, if one of the chapters is there by written by a Mexican cook for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and she gave gives some outlines some very typical Mexican restaurants recipes that are served on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I think that you have to you know, Catholics should read online about how people celebrate feast days and they get some inspiration of what to serve and what will appeal to their family. I think that's very important for them to do that. Mm. But for Our Lady of Guadalupe, read about Rita Steininger. She did an amazing, is an amazing cook, and she always celebrates her the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Always. Yeah. In Father John McNamara's chap- chapter, uh, you say, uh, now a priest for six years, well, I guess it's been seven years now, actually, says he reflects, quote, I'm no longer feeding bellies, I'm feeding souls. I'm helping people on their spiritual journey and having them focus on what is most important. It has been fantastic to proclaim the gospel and has it has all helped me to grow closer to our Lord through prayer, relationships with the community and the ministry, close quote. You know, and I, I love that he reflects on his past and uses that to his advantage to proclaim the gospel, to plant the seeds, to try to save souls. Uh, because that is his vocation as a priest, and I find that truly fascinating. The other thing I, w- I wanted to bring up, too, is something to what Rudy said a minute ago, these quotes, and I saw the quote from Teresa of Avila talking about, you know, grace in the kitchen among the pots and pans. You know, do you think of Teresa of Avila, you think of the interior castles, and uh, you don't think of her making kitchen references. So <laughs> it's utterly fascinating, to be sure, how, uh, how, how these saints have so many dimensions to them. But let me, let me switch gears and ask you about these recipes that are part of your book. Each chapter, you, you focus on a new person from a new angle, and then you, you give up their favorite recipe. Was there a particular recipe at, on any of the chapters that you thought was the most interesting, the most uh, uh, tasty, so to speak? Well, of course, um, I'm from California, so anything Mexican is always appeals ah. to me. So, so I go back to Our Lady of Guadalupe and her Mexican recipes. But they were all good. They all were tested. They were all accurate. They're, they're just really um, people who are devoted to their faith, but they're also devoted for good food. Um, so it's, it's I don't know, you know Our Lady of Guadalupe, so, mm. but which, which recipes appeal to you? Well... I'm on the strict carnivore diet, so the rancher is my favorite. You know, his, <laughs> uh, his beef recipe, I think, stood out to me most, uh, praise be to God. And I love the fact that the, 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 the ingredients have to be, you know, as clean and as good as possible, taking the effort to make sure that that meat is well-prepared and well-cut. I, I love that. I think that really spoke to me quite a bit. Let's talk about the last category, though, of cooks and chefs. These are people who tend to work uh, uh, professionally in the industry, uh, which I find fascinating because it's an opportunity to plant a seed in the hearts of strangers. You know, priests, I think, have a little easier time. Father Leo Padaline hung on television or whatever. It's a little easier for him. He's got the collar. It's a thing. I get it. But for lay folk cooking, they, they might have a restaurant. I can't, I've been in several, several restaurants now, especially Mexican ones where you'll see images of Our Lady Guadalupe or other images, uh, religious images around. And I think that's a fascinating uh, witness of evangelization. Were there any stories like that in your book? 
Um, I, the only one is Our Lady of Guadalupe, and that's because she, and as I spoke to many times, she used to eat in uh, El Paso, and all the restaurants she went to had pictures of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and in her house has images and pictures of Our Lady of Guadalupe all over. Mm. So I, I don't remember any other chefs saying that they have it in their restaurant. It hmm. looks like. Well, it's a wonderful opportunity to uh, to decorate with religious imagery and iconography. It really speaks to so many people when they do that. Now, the other one is you uh, you you had Jeff Young in here, and I used to know Jeff Young way back in the day when oh, I was amazing. when I was doing podcasting uh, and uh, part of the SQPN uh, uh, network of podcasters in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and we met in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, at a conference actually. So I find it fascinating that you had featured Jeff in here, the Catholic foodie. Tell us about his story. Well, I actually interviewed him for the National Catholic Register, which is why I even knew about him. And he was very gracious in letting me write about him for the book. And his whole involvement with food and bringing people on his program is about his way of spreading the voice of God. Mm. And he does it for food, and his, his guests are always... Uh, fascinating and fascinated by what he's talking about. And I think he's probably brought a lot of people in back to the faith or into the faith. Yeah. So he's an amazing person. Fascinating. Um, and, he, and he's a very good cook, too. Wow. He's a wonderful chef. Uh, squashed, braised in coconut milk with jumbo shrimp. That sounds pretty tasty, I would argue. Uh, shrimp. Who doesn't love shrimp, of course, but anything with coconut is uh, is the way to go, I would argue. And what are you having for Thanksgiving? Me, me or are you talking to yourself? You? Yes. <laughs> what are you having for Thanksgiving? Me? Yes. I'm, ha- I'm, tra- I'm sorry. He was looking at tra- I'm having a traditional dinner. Oh, okay. so. I'm sorry. So uh, <laughs> turkey and mashed taters and uh, and probably cranberry on the side, you know. Uh, yes, more I, traditional. I will have to live vicariously through you. I can't have anything <laughs> but the turkey, apparently. But at any rate, uh, check out the book, tanbooks.com. It's Catholics in the Kitchen with Alexander Greeley. God love you, Alexander. Thank you for your, your time today and sharing your book with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy it. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. All right. uh, Praise be to God. That's going to do it for today's program. Thank you all for joining us. Do come back for the next episode of Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired even during Thanksgiving week. God love you. God bless you. And happy Thanksgiving to you and to your family. It is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. 
from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Thanksgiving to everyone. Today we celebrate Thanksgiving Day. We honor this, we give this Mass in thanksgiving to God. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. We also welcome the religious missionaries of St. Dominic who are joining us today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. the Lord be with you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We praise God and give him thanks and glory for all of his good gifts. And let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ have, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. 
Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father all-powerful, your gifts of love are countless and your goodness infinite. As we come before you on Thanksgiving Day with gratitude for your kindness, open our hearts to have concern for every man, woman, and child so that we may share your gifts in loving service. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Reading from the book of Sirach. And now, bless the God of all, who has done wondrous things on earth, who fosters people's growth from their mother's womb, and fashions them according to his will. May he grant you joy of heart, and may peace abide among you. May his goodness toward us endure in Israel, to deliver us in our days. The word of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and love. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and love. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all of my heart, for you have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. I will worship at your holy temple. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and love. I will give thanks to your name because of your kindness and your truth. When I called, you answered me. You built up strength within me. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and love. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Great is the glory of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and love. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus, that in him you are enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge, as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and by him you are called to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart, for you have heard the words of my mouth. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus answered, 
I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our founder, Father James Flanagan, would always encourage us on Thanksgiving, or usually the day before Thanksgiving, was to make a litany of Thanksgiving. Now you could start from the first, your first memories, or you could just begin at this past year, of writing a list of different things we, should, we could be grateful for. And just like, like, like most things, you know, when we start to really think about what we should be grateful for, it all of a sudden starts to stir up other memories of things that we could be grateful for. And all of a sudden we have pages and pages of pages of things to be grateful for. Because we tend to re remember the things that we don't like, <laughs> the bad memories. But this is a way of, sh of, of really bringing to the fore the goodness and the graciousness that God bestows on us every day. I remember when I not, my novice servant used to say, you know, can you, he would say, can you be grateful, great, how, can you be grateful for things? And we'd say, well, Father, do you mean in the last week? And he said, no, in the last minute. <laughs> to be grateful for so many gifts that God gives to us. First of all, our life, uh, our family, our faith, all those basic things that we have water to drink, we have a place that we have a roof over our head. Uh, these are all things that we should be basically grateful for. And then, of course, the, the, the gifts of each day that come to us. Thanksgiving Day, even if we don't have turkey, even if we don't have mashed potatoes and stuffing and pumpkin pie, there's every day is a day really of Thanksgiving. But we set aside this time, this, this day specifically, to remember that, that gratitude in our hearts is an important aspect of being a Christian, especially being really a human being. Um, when we hear the gospel today, we have this moment in Jesus' life where we kind of have a window into his interior life, this, this joyful outcry to God for God's goodness, for his Father's goodness. I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, you have revealed them to little ones. We said we get an inkling into the interior life of Jesus, this burst of praise to the Father. Uh, it was Paul the Saint Paul the Sixth in his uh, apostolic letter on joy, who wrote something like this. This is God when He created the world. He, he was this joyful burst of creativity. That's why we have stars and galaxies and millions of them, not just a few of them. And then all the insects and everything on the earth, all the plants. There's such a huge variety, and we 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 can be grateful for all of that which God created. So God, in, in, as a as a father gives this enormous creation for us. And then Jesus really is responding back, the proper response back to the Father's goodness and this joyful burst of creativity is this joyful burst of generosity back to the Father to the point where he gives his life out of joy to the Father because he loves the Father. So the Father gives everything, bestows everything on the Son, and the Son gives it back to the Father in this joyful burst of generosity. And that is that pattern that should characterize our life. 
that our life ends up being this joyful burst of generous love and gratitude back to the Father in Jesus Christ for all that the Father has done and continues to do for us. That really is thanksgiving. So when we start that litany, we start with even just, we start with the moment and then go back to this entire year of how God has been so generous to us. I think it helps us also to see that uh, there, there are two moments of that we have trials and difficulties and distress, but even in those, the Lord has carried us through. And we can even find ways to be grateful for that because it, it, we end up finding out that that is the ways that God really forms us so deeply is through difficulties and trials, temptations, that our hearts are formed in order to receive a deeper and more profound gift of himself. So let us give thanks to the Father for having made us worthy to share the lot of the saints in light. Let us give thanks to the Lord for all of his gifts, all the, the small gifts that we receive each day, and, all the, and the greater ones that we, that we receive uh, in, different time, in different points in our lifetime. We give thanks to God for everything that he bestows upon us. Amen. We offer our petitions to our Heavenly Father, who is so gracious to hear and answer our prayers. Let us pray for the Holy Church of God, for all the needs of the Church, that it may be an ever more credible and transparent witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. We pray for those who govern us, that they may listen diligently to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit in their decisions, always respecting the dignity of, hum of the human person, uh, and always respecting life, we pray to the Lord. Lord Let us pray for an increase of faith, hope, and charity, which leads to a deeper, profound gratitude to the Father for all that he gives to us, we pray to the Lord. Lord we pray for all those who are homeless, for all those who do not have families to celebrate this day. Uh, they may be comforted by our generosity as Christians, we may recognize them as our brothers and sisters and help them in their need, we pray to the Lord. Lord Let us pray for all those who have died, for all the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace, we pray to the Lord. Lord we pray for the intentions of those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, for their families and friends, especially on this special day, we pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all of your gifts. We bring our petitions before you, confident that you hear and answer us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. God, our Father, from whose hand we have received generous gifts so that we might sh learn to share your blessings in gratitude, accept these gifts of bread and wine and let the perfect sacrifice of Jesus draw us closer to all our brothers and sisters in the human family. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, you have entrusted to us the great gift of freedom, a gift that calls forth responsibility and commitment to the truth that all have a fundamental dignity before you. In Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we find our ultimate redemption, freedom from sin and every blessing. And so with hearts full of love, we join the angels today and every day of our lives to sing your glory as we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Suncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection. 
until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. The soft of the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I know you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. I will thank you, Lord, with all my heart, for you have heard the words of my mouth. 
act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Father, we thank Thee who hast planted Thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and faith and life immortal, Jesus, Thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for thy pleasure, didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal, thine is the power, be thine the praise. Watch o'er thy church, O Lord, in mercy. Save it from evil, guard it still. Perfected in thy love, united, cleansed and conformed unto thy will. As grain once scattered on the hillsides Was in this broken bread made one So from all lands thy church be gathered Into thy kingdom by thy Son Let us pray. In this celebration, O Lord our God, you have shown us the depths of your love for all your children. Help us, we pray, to reach out in love to all your people so that we may share with them the good things of time and eternity through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Now thank we...
The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Alejandra with special use services.